Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to profile bounce back candidates in the Orioles farm system. Specifically, we're going to look at players who we think after either a sluggish 2023, a struggle at a new level when they were promoted during the season, or a player who missed a significant amount of time due to injury, will turn the page in 2024 and have a better year. And before we get into that, though, we want to preview a new offering coming to our Patreon members this week, as well as welcome a new member. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Bob. Yeah, if you remember last year around this time, we debuted our Top 50 Countdown leading up to spring training for patrons. Of course, we will still have our full Top 50 episode like we usually do preseason, but for patrons, we want to make it fun and do a player a day from 50 up to the top five will be our final episode. And our first one will be out tomorrow. Anyone that's a patron, that will show up in your feed. And also, just to mention once more, you will have access to the Discord. Anyone can join the Discord. But if you're a patron, you get some extra channels. Still adjusting that. If anyone that's in there has any suggestions on improvement or on anything we do. Hey, it's a new year. Give us some suggestions on content, on episodes. Let us know. Patrons, you get the first uh, dibs, though, so make sure you sign up. Also, to mention, we do have a new patron. Speaking of, John Boatwright, welcome to Double A, fresh out of uh, college, right up to Bowie. Welcome aboard. Yeah, and as a reminder, you can join our Patreon community at the paid level, starting out as little as $3 a month. And then at the 5 and $10 levels, you will have access to bonus daily coverage, which includes the top 50 prospects countdown. And then once we get into the season, we will have daily recaps of the regular season action. And when we talk about the regular season in 2024, we hope to be saying good things about the six players that we're going to profile tonight, three hitters and three pitchers who we think are primed for bounce back seasons. Now, what we decided as a criteria for bounce back was the obvious ones, players who struggled in 2023, players who missed a significant amount of time due to injury. And then we had a little bit of a wrinkle and decided to focus on players who performed well at one level in 2023, but struggled at another. And we'll get into the whole spectrum of that tonight. But first, I'm going to go over to Nick because his hitter and pitcher selections are interesting. Yeah, let's start with the hitter first, I guess. Um I went with a guy that I'm not quite ready to give up on, Trendon Craig. He, he is getting a little bit older. He, he's 23 now. He's had two stints at this point in high A, but just hasn't been able to take control of that opportunity, opportunity yet. Last year, I think he had a couple of injuries. He missed like six or seven weeks at the beginning of the year. I think he missed another week or two later on in the year. And then once he was healthy and kind of settled back in, I think they sent him back to Delmarva to kind of readjust and reacclimate himself. And then once the organization decided to move him up to high A, you started seeing the draft picks start to roll in. And so I, I just think you know, Craig continued to kind of push down a little bit and more sparse playing time down there in Aberdeen. But it, it, it's kind of like, you know, when this organization is as deep as it is with all this quality talent, it kind of puts a lot of pressure on guys like Craig to step up guys who are getting older as well. Like you've got to perform or you're going to sink and be left behind. And like, nobody's going to throw you a life raft and it's brutal, but it's kind of true uh, to be honest. So, but with Craig, like he got a $250,000 signing bonus 
to to pull him away from NC State. 20th round Juco pick in 2021. That was the 10th highest signing bonus of the class, 21 players in 2021. And we always joke about like guys who got the Matt Blood touch because I think he's very, very careful with his words publicly about specific players. But when you're talking with him and from us having him on a couple of times, when he talks about guys specifically, there are a few where you can tell like he genuinely loves this player. Uh, his demeanor changes a little bit. Uh, see our Joey Ortiz interview, but like Craig, he, he gave Craig a shout out. I think in, a, in the athletic article at one point, I just think the or the amount of money the Orioles gave him to s- try to skip out on NC State. Clearly, the organization was intrigued by him coming out of the draft. I highlighted his name Isley as a guy who's probably going to take three or four years and be a project because he is this JUCO talent here, but he's definitely got the tools at least. And now we're coming up on year four though. He hasn't had a full year because of the injuries. He's flashed a little bit at times. He's this athletic outfielder who's, he stole like 20 something bases last year. He's probably not doing that in the major leagues, but he's going to be a threat or in the upper minors leagues, but he's going to be a threat. I think there's genuine hidden power there in the bat. The clock is ticking on him, but it's not ready to give up on him quite yet. Yeah, I, I like this pick. I mean, like you said, he's a little more of a project. You knew that from the second he was drafted. And even the way he was handled, I think, you know, he didn't pr- debut in the complex right away or he didn't advance to the next level like some other guys did. Um, but they've been slow and steady. Injuries have slowed him down. But you do see some uh, progression. You see some improvements because in 2022 – his strikeout rate was 28.7% in low A, 31.5% in high A. And then last year, it was 21.4% in low A, 24.7% in high A. So cutting down on the strikeouts, you saw the ISO be as high as it ever was when he was with Delmarva, which makes sense. He was, let's see, 22-23 for the most part there. So he should be able to have some success. But he went up to high A again. Walk rate went from 8.3% in high A in 2022 to 13.7% in 2023. Yeah, I think it's a big year for him, though, because he's 23. He'll be 24 at some point during the season. I'm sure he's going to start in high A in the rotation in the outfield. And then hopefully he at least gets a chance in Bowie before the year ends. And and uh, yeah, if he has a big season, he's right back on the radar. Yeah, I do think it's been tough for Craig because the Orioles are so deep in outfielders and the injuries. You combine those two things. I don't think – I think he was raw coming into the system, and that was a good point, Nick. And you compound that with the fact that he just hasn't played that much in the last couple of years. So I wasn't – I thought he'd do a little bit better at Aberdeen last year, but I wasn't surprised if he struggled more than he did at Delmarva. I just think the key is going to be to, you know, finding out what kind of player he is. It's just making sure that you get him consistent at bats, which is easier said than done, given the outfield that Aberdeen's probably going to have at the start of next season. But if that means that he DHs a couple of times a week or however you have to move around Matt Horvath to open up another spot in the outfield, I think you do it to get Craig consistent at bats because you just need a, a good long stretch of playing time from him to see if he can take that next step because the tools are there and we've seen it the last couple of seasons at Delmarva. It just hasn't come together for him yet. Yeah. I was trying to look 
I can pull up the article fast enough. Our projected minor league uh, roster article there on who you had in Aberdeen outfield. But I know like you're probably looking at what Bradfield, Etzel, Horvath can play the outfield. Uh, maybe Tavian Josenberger on that roster as well. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, probably maybe. But maybe yeah. Craig takes his spot to start the year. I could see that. But yeah, he's in the mix. Yeah, it's deep. It's a deep outfield class. Ilya so Prado. Luis Valdez. Valdez. That's frustrating. Um, thought he was hitting a little bit more and then just stopped again. But yeah, it's like I said, it's quality competition and he's going to have to force his way into these lineups uh, most nights down there in Aberdeen. So hopefully he does and rebounds a little bit. Uh, the pitcher, though, we can move on to my pitcher here. And this one's a little bit different because we haven't seen this guy play yet uh, at all. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people listening to this and they're going to be wondering who the heck is Preston Johnson. Uh, but that's who I'm talking about here is Preston Johnson. So if you have no clue who he is, well, um, I'll tell you. Uh, he was a seventh round draft pick lat 2022 at a Mississippi State. And he's listed at 6'4", 250 pounds and has a very appropriate nickname of Beef. So his size, uh, that nickname, I think it all works, and I love the nickname. But he only appeared in one game for the FCL Orioles right after he was drafted. He threw eight pitches, it looks like, if my math is correct. Gave up two hits, recorded two outs, and then had Tommy John surgery. So he missed all of last year, 2023. We haven't seen him. Uh, very few people have. Probably just like one person down there in Sarasota has seen him live. Uh, but I did find a number of really intriguing numbers on Preston Johnson. And these go back to his college days because that's obviously all we have right now. Um, I it, I think his timeline, though, does match up. I will say that it I think he will be a full go come spring training. So we should get a full year of Preston Johnson. Um, but the fastball, like, do I even need to describe like what his fastball is? He's an Orioles draft pick. So like you, you can probably assume 21 inches of induced vertical break on the fastball, his last year at Mississippi state. That's, that's a lot. Um, that's, that's very beefy if you will. Uh, so he gets a swing and miss up in the zone. That was his bread and butter. Like so many other pitchers in this organization, it doesn't have the velo, but I think we see that a lot with Orioles pitchers, especially draft picks that comes in. The velo may not be there, but it's 19, 20, 21 inches of induced vertical break. They can build on that velo. And with that frame, like I think you can get a little bit more. I think he's like touched 95 in college. So you can get a little bit more out of that, I'm sure. Um, of course, we'll have to see what what happens you know, after Tommy John surgery, but still got a ton of swing and miss on the slider. But there was a note in one of the reports I saw that he had a an arm angle. <laughs> yeah, the bye-bye Nancy Dolly Turner. Um, there was a note, though, that when he throws the slider, apparently it was very Drew Rom-like where the arm angle just drops and college shooters knew exactly what was coming. Like, it was very noticeable. Uh, so that obviously is something that you're going to want to work on. But it got a ton of swing and miss still. At the same time, the curveball apparently tunneled perfectly. Same arm action, same arm speed as the fastball. So that he was able to throw for strikes. Got a ton of swing and miss on that pitch. And it's it's not the hammer type curve, though, that I think is going to be more successful. So see what the Orioles do there with that. And then he's got a change up that it seems like all of his pitches. It's a tinkering or two away from being like an above average offering. And I just go back to 
as I'm reading all of this, I go back to what Justin Ramsey said when he was on our show, talking about how the Orioles do a really good job of giving all the pitching coaches really good moldable clay to work with. And I think that's a perfect description for Preston Johnson. This is like good quality clay with big potential. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see what the pitching coaches can do when, when they work with him. And when we finally get to see him pitch at some point next year, I'm assuming that uh, he'll probably start with in Delmarva's bullpen. So if you want to hear some silver linings, some half glass full thinking, maybe that Tommy John surgery will allow him to forget his old mechanics, start fresh, build up, as he's rehabbing, who knows, as he's been rehabbing, maybe they can work with him to get started on uh, different tweaks and changes. And so when he comes back, he might be a little more mechanically sound or at least, I don't know, maybe working on some things already. So I'm so intrigued to see this guy pitch. Uh, I definitely want Creed Willems to catch him at least once this year. That could be uh, – you're not charging him out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this pick a lot. Hoppy fastball. Who knew? I think what, who else came out of the 2022 draft pitching wise? Was it Justin Armbruster? No, that was 21, right? Yeah. I got a whole thing here. I, can pull, I mean, I feel, was it 20, Tavera, right? 2022 draft with Preston Johnson. Uh, you had Cameron Weston, the Zach Showalter draft. Um, a lot of these other, Reese Sharp, Graham Fireved, Trace Bright. So. Okay, yeah, Trace Bright was, I guess, the one I was thinking of. But yeah, just another. We need some someone to break through in a big way. A Bright might be one as well. But Preston Johnson, twenty twenty two draft class could use your assistance in twenty twenty four. Yeah, this is a good pick, Nick. And it's you know, Johnson was kind of easy to forget about because we barely saw him after he was drafted. Didn't really hear much about his recovery last year. But if he's back on the mound, full go this year. He comes into the system with all of the traits that the Orioles look for in their right-handed pitching. And I would be very curious to see what he does, assuming that he does pitch in a relief role, how the Orioles handle that. Do they work him in as a piggyback option because he did start in college? Or do they just decide, coming off of Tommy John, throw him an inning or two at a time, and maybe that fastball-slider combination really sticks in the bullpen? Uh, I'm curious to see how that plays out because the stuff should be there as long as he's back recovered. And I think that he'll do well at the lower levels of the minors. I like Mississippi state arm. I'm excited to see what he can do. To be honest. Uh, I do have, before you guys talk about uh, your players, I do have one more name I wanted to throw out there. Uh, Talking about bounce back candidates. And really it's because I have a very, when I think about this player, I view him through my very bright orange tinted glasses and I can't, I can't see appropriately when I think about this player. So maybe I get your guys' quick opinion on this. Michel Deson doesn't play all year because of an injury because it's just kind of popped into my head as we started this. I didn't, I don't have a firm answer as to what exactly the injury was. I don't know if you guys know or not, but from what I've seen, I don't, it sounds like he could potentially be fully healthy and ready to go for this season, but he didn't play at all. 2023 doesn't play in 2020 due to COVID. So he's already missed two years in his development, really struggled in Delmarva on a scale of one to 10. How intrigued are you guys still about Dayson as a bounce back candidate? I'll say 
about a five or a six. We know the tools are there. The raw tools are there. Like he can play all three outfield positions. He's got speed. He did hit at one point in FCL. Um, obviously a little bit older now. I do think it's going to be hard for him to find that playing time. I wonder if he's going to get treated a little bit like Nolberth Romero did last year, where he's kind of just bouncing around, filling in where needed, which is not the best thing. But maybe if he can just, you know, start showing things, then maybe they can be like, all right, we're going to give you a run here in Delmarva, a run here in Aberdeen, and and then he'll have a, a chance. I, I'm mostly my five slash six is only just because. I want to see him back on the field. I was super intrigued going into last season, how he was going to bounce back. Would he be the, the Daryl Hernandez of, uh, of 2023 repeating Delmarva? And obviously he didn't even have the chance to be that. So I'm a little bit interested, but I think he's most likely been passed up. I, let's look at my uh, top 100 list here. I have him falling all the way down to number 95. So he, he's got a, he's got a climb ahead of him, but, uh, you could do it. Why not? Yeah, I would go right around where Bob landed, probably on five. And Bob mentioning Daryl Hernandez reminded me when Hernandez was on last offseason, he had talked about how impressed he was by Dayson at Delmarva, despite some of the struggles he had in 2022. And Sam Zelnick, the Sorebirds then broadcaster, talked about how Dayson was one of those players who probably would have benefited from a stint at a short season level above the FCL before he got to Delmarva. So going into last year, before we knew that he was hurt, I had some reasonable hopes of a bounce back from him. The things that temper my expectations right now are number one, just not knowing much about what kept him off the field and how his process is going. And two, you know, Bob touched on this. You've got a lot of outfielders in the system. You have some very good outfielders coming up from the FCL um, from last season as well as some guys who are probably going to repeat Delmarva that we expect to get a little bit better. So Dayson's not going to walk right into a starting job if he's healthy and is sent back to Delmarva this year. But you hope that with the playing time he gets early on, he eventually works his way into that role. And we're reminded why going into last year we had high hopes for him and we had really high hopes for him going into 2022. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean – we saw what a guy like Steven Acevedo was able to do last season after his third run in Delmarva finally was making some strides and showing off those tools. And I still have him. I don't know. Is he on the bench in Aberdeen or is he back in Delmarva to start? So, and that's a guy who did kind of break out. So I don't know where Desson is going to exactly find the playing time, but I'm sure there will be injuries that we don't know about as always. And, and maybe he will get more of a run than, than I'm thinking. I also go back to just like Kobe Perez when he was on. It was like, this is the five tool guy. Like, hopefully we see some of it next year. But that, Bob, you want to give us your breakout candidates, uh, starting with your hitter? Yes, I do. In fact, speaking of this year's Daryl Hernandez, are we going to be saying that when Daryl Hernandez is like in year five of his Oakland Athletics career? Um, yeah, mine is Anderson Daly Santos, who was a pick to break out. I think for most of us three, at least going into 2023, where it was like, this guy hits the ball really hard. He's short, but he's solid. Like he plays a decent third base. Looked like he could be a guy on the come up, put, put up some big numbers in the, in the FCL. And then 
Unfortunately, he was a little bit overwhelmed, I think, in low A Delmarva full season ball. But to be fair, he was 19 all season long. He's still 19 for another day. He turns 20 tomorrow, in fact, which is weird because I looked at Aaron Estrada's birthday today. That's January 13th. And Thomas Sosa's birthday is January 18th. So a lot of January birthdays for these international guys that I've been looking at. Um, but he walked 15% of the time in 2022 as a 18-year-old in the FCL and struck out the same amount. Unfortunately, that kind of dropped a little bit. He struck out almost 25% of the time and only walked 7.5% of the time. ISO was a little bit low for someone who, who he still hits the ball really hard. I, I wonder if it's just a matter of he got down early where and then started being a little too aggressive, swinging at too many balls outside the zone. I'm not sure. Don't have the data on that exactly, but I'm looking at his ground ball percentage. He actually didn't hit the ball on the ground too, too much. He improved that. So maybe there was some swing adjustments and they're just going to take some time to, to take hold. But I think him repeating the level, getting a chance to just make the improvements in the off season, come in a fresh start, well-adjusted and feast on some younger pitching. Now that he's reaching the uh, ripe old age of 20, um, he'll be able to do a little more damage when he makes contact in game. And uh, yeah, I think he won't be in Delmarva too, too long. I'm thinking by, Mid-season, he'll be up in Aberdeen. I like that. I, I mean, I've thrown his name out a lot this offseason, and I'm just getting more and more excited to see what he can do just because like, the numbers weren't good at all, really, last year in Delmar. Right? Like, there's really no sugarcoating that. But like I said on our roster prediction show, like when you're watching Delmarva regularly, you can clearly see like who has the real potential, who's mashing, but like you're watching their peak when they're down there in Delmarva. Uh, and then like, who's likely going to just be probably among the next group of guys that's going to get cut. And De Los Santos really falls into that real potential category. You mentioned the good numbers in the DSL, the FCL. And yeah, the, really the only glaring thing that struck out to me was the, the strikeout rate and the walk rate, big differences uh, compared to, because that's what he was praised for so much in the DSL and the FCL was his plate discipline. But I know, um, you know, John Mioli, I think, noted in one of his prospect write-ups for Baseball America that De Los Santos is, was still a free swinger. Even when he was posting good strikeout walk numbers in you know complex ball, he's still a free swinger. And I'm wondering if that just got the best of him when he started facing older guys in Delmarva. Like, I mean, this guy signed for $350,000 in that 2021 international class and has been consistently praised by guys like the new director of player development, Anthony Villa. Like he's been praised by other coaches in this organization for his work ethic, his maturity as well. And I don't know. I, I think the swing and miss the strikeouts and walk rate, like that's what I'm going to be looking at specifically when the season starts. I think that will give us a pretty telling picture of kind of where his season is going to go. I don't know what the sentiment is right now going into 2024, but like I know going into 2023, like the organization seemed to really love this kid. And considering the reasons why they loved him, I don't think a blip on the radar is going to make a huge, like a huge, that blip on the radar because he was making such a drastic jump in competition. I don't think that's going to change the organization's hopes too much about him going into next season. Yeah, that's a good point. And Vivek brings up a good point too. Second half, much better than first half. 
His overall numbers, he batted 228 with the 626 OPS. But if you take his numbers from July 15th to the end of the season, he batted 266 with the 730 OPS. And then if you go a little bit further than that, August 9th, the last month or so of the season, he batted 284 with the 782 OPS. So certainly uh, saw some progression there. And I think that will continue into 2024. Yeah. With De Los Santos out of the gate next year, I'm really going to be watching the walks, the strikeout numbers, just knowing the power isn't always there for hitters in the early months of the season. It seemed to me that he was still hitting the ball hard at Del Marva last year. It's just that he was having more problems with contact. And I agree with Nick that, you know, it's not that jump from the FCL to low A. It's just enough that you're now going to be facing pitchers that are going to exploit that weakness of being a free swinger. So, I suspect that De Los Santos is always going to be on the aggressive side of the plate. It's just going to be a matter of the Orioles trying to channel that aggression to get him to make better swing decisions. All right, my pitcher. Um, I'm going to go with a friend of the show. He was actually interviewed on last year's Top 50 Countdown. I can't say that's going to happen again this year, but you never know. Sign up to Patreon to see if uh, if that happens. But Ryan Watson would be my bounce-back pitcher for 2024 and especially now that the Rule 5 draft is over, not like I really expected him to be selected, but he wasn't protected. You never know how things are going to shake out. But now that it's pretty, I think, safe to say he's just going to be back in Norfolk, whether it's in their bullpen, in the rotation here and there. Hopefully they don't bounce him back and forth between the two roles and emergency situations as much as last year. Maybe just give him a chance to uh, try to be a – one to three inning reliever and see what he's got. Cause I think his stuff is way better than uh, he showed last year. You know, we talked about it so many times, just adjusting to the, the strike zone with the automatic balls and strikes versus a challenge system and starting and relieving and short notice. And I just think we saw how gritty and gutsy this guy is. He's as, as the kids said, at least a couple of years ago, he's got that dog in him. Um, I don't know. I feel like he could be one of those guys that is useful to an organization because he's got three years of options. He could be up and down. He can fill any role you really need him to at the major league level. I'd like in the minor leagues, I'd like to see him be stuck in not stuck, um, you know, use them one specific role to try to let him get comfortable. But one year in the majors, I feel like he could be a versatile guy out of the bullpen that can can bounce up and down, kind of like a Logan Gillespie from the past couple of years. Yeah, this one's a tough one to gauge uh, with Watson. But first and foremost, it is a good chance to remind everybody that he's a phenomenal story just because he was technically undrafted in 2020. That was only five rounds, obviously, but he probably would have been one of those like rounds, six to ten senior signs out of Auburn. But he started just five games when he was in college. And I'm sure some of those, if not all of them, were probably like what two, three inning, like Tuesday, Wednesday night starts. Uh, I don't know. I didn't dive into it that much, but five starts. I don't imagine they were like Friday night starts for Auburn, um, but the Orioles converted him to a starter. And this guy eventually within what, a year or so wins the Jim Palmer minor league pitcher of the year award in 2022. It's phenomenal story. He got the full year in AAA last year. It didn't go very well, but I still think he would have maybe not entire outings, but he would still have moments in games like innings or, or stretches in games where it's like, that's 2022 Ryan Watson. I thought 
I do think he can still be like a depth arm for you. I think like Bob said perfectly an up and down guy, at least he's, we know he can go five, six innings and maintain his velo. He, I think he, the stuff could play up in a one inning role. Just get in there and let it rip. Um, he's certainly shown that he's got that attitude on the mound that he could fit that mold as well. I just don't, he doesn't have like that high spin fastball, you know, that gets a lot of the whiffs, but he does have a slider and a curveball that get a lot of whiffs. So those are two really good offerings. And I think he's another guy pretty early on next year. You'll be able to tell like where his season's going to go. If he can throw more strikes and be effective, that's going to be huge because I think the one reason why, not the one reason, but a reason why he wasn't successful last year, was like Bob alluded to the automated ball strike system. And actually the league ERA in the international league was like 5.2 or almost 5.2 last year which was up from 4.6 the year before. Like that's a drastic improvement year over year when the only real change wasn't a new baseball or anything. The change was the automatic ball strike, automatic ball strike system, what three days a week. And then the challenge system, the other three or four days of the week. So like Watson's ERA was at 5.9 and the FIP and XFIP are both closer to five. So he wasn't too far above league average. Um, we say like he had a down year, but he was right around league average in terms of a lot of his stats there. I just think it's kind of difficult to accurately judge a lot of these AAA pitchers with that part-time ABS system in place only use, you know, half the week. And I'm sure it needed some more tweaking to get accurate as well. So I'm sure guys were probably really frustrated. I don't think we've had a pitcher on since then, but I'd love to get a AAA pitcher on and like get their real thoughts and be like, how frustrating was this to work uh, throughout the week? Especially for a guy like Watson who maybe pitched twice during the week. Yeah, and if I could just add one more thing to could add some context. I don't know the reasoning, but I will say that he started the year from opening day to May 18th, 2.67 ERA over 30.1 innings with 25 strikeouts. And that's including an outing where he gave up seven runs in two and a third, his second outing of the year. His first outing was five shutout innings with uh, three strikeouts, and then he even had a stretch – of 21 innings where he only gave up three runs. And then from there on, it was a little shaky. So I don't know if that's when that system was put into place. I'm not sure exactly, or if maybe he was just fighting a minor injury from that point on or around that point. I don't know. It, but uh, yeah, it was later in the year before that was instituted, I believe. So maybe that does match. I think that timeline could match up actually. Yeah. Just something I noticed. So throw it out there. Sorry, Zach. I think that Watson at times still flashes the stuff. Like Nick said, I think he you know has to rely heavily on the curveball and the slider to get the swings and misses, but the fastball can be an effective pitch for him. Let me ask you this question, though, because I was looking through his splits, and this kind of jumped out at me. Do you think it would be better for Watson to be a starter or a reliever next year? I personally could see it going either way. Um, I guess – I would say he should, if it was me, I'd have him come in ready to prepare to start because why not, right? You can get stretched out in spring and just see what happens with opportunities, with injuries. Rotation at AAA could be pretty set, but if there's an injury or two, he's a guy you could throw out there. I mean, he's got the the durability. He's a bulldog. He he can give you five, six, five or six innings, no problem. But at the same time, like Nick said, that stuff could play up in a shorter stint as well. And I'm kind of at this point, I feel like 
I'd try him in the bullpen just because he's he's going to be 26 this year. And, you know, if you want to give him a chance at the major leagues, if you want him to help your team at some point in 2024, I think that might be the route to go. I agree. I think you get – I think you put you tell him you're going out there for one inning. He's throwing 95, 96 miles an hour instead of, you know, 92, 93. And, I mean, it's still – you know, it's not upper 90s fastball, but every mile an hour – more you know is, is better results for pitchers uh, we've we've seen the data on all that last year uh when all the debates about you know velo versus location um so i think that would help and like i said the slider and curveball data on him is really good and that was i think he probably struggled throwing those two pitchers the most with that abs system in place so i wonder if you you take away the abs system you allow that fastball to play up a little bit. I wonder just how good then is that slider and curveball going to be? Probably similar to what we saw in 2022, like when he was in Bowie and won minor league pitcher of the year. So. Yeah, I lean towards reliever, but what really surprised me about his 2023 season, his ERA as a starter in 43 innings was 398, and he had a strikeout per nine of 9.6, 46 strikeouts in that span. As a reliever, his ERA was 7.86 and 44 and two-thirds innings with a strikeout per nine of 7.3. I really don't know what to make of that because it is so random. And as I look through his game log, the only thing I can really attribute it to is that a lot of his good outings early in the year were starts. Uh, the only thing that I guess I wonder is, is it a sign that maybe that curveball and the slider need more pitches in a game to really get going. I don't know, but it's an interesting, interesting, excuse me, interesting thing to consider. Yeah, that is a good point. Again, just like I was like, I'm adding context. I don't know how it, or what it means. Uh, kind of similar with that where it's like, yeah, maybe he was just more comfortable coming off of 2022 in that role, or maybe the starts tended to be more in the beginning of the season when he was performing better, but it is, Good to know. I'll jump into my hitter now, and it's a guy that doesn't really fully qualify as a bounce back because his season overall was not a disappointment, but the end of it was not good, and that's Judd Fabian. Uh, Fabian tore through Aberdeen, put up really good numbers in 56 games before getting promoted to Bowie, where the good, bad, and the ugly with Judd Fabian sowed itself. On one hand, uh, the power was there, 15 home runs and 288 plate appearances, his walk rate was just about in line, a little over 15% with what it had been in Aberdeen. However, the strikeouts climbed in AA, and he ended up hitting just 176 there with a 98 WRC+. plus. Now, the positive takeaways from this are that he still hit for power, he still drew a lot of walks, and he still played a great center field. However, we know that the strikeouts are going to be an issue with him, and I think there's always going to be an element of swing and miss to Fabian's game. But if there's two things that I'm going to kind of take away, or three things really that I'm going to take away from his struggles at Bowie and why I'm hopeful that he'll curtail those problems next season are number one, he is still walking. That's a sign to me. He hasn't, you know, gotten completely impatient at the plate and put himself into a hole. Number two, his batting average on balls and play, 233 at AA last year. And maybe he was not hitting the ball as hard or as consistent as he was at Aberdeen, but any way you slice it, 233 uh, is a really low, unlucky number. 
And the third factor is that the Orioles have shown that they can work with this kind of player. And while it remains to be seen if they can get prolonged success out of these kind of guys, look at the progress Kyle Stowers made from 2021 to 2022. Look at the progress Colton Calder made over the course of the 2022 season. I mean, he even points to Anthony Santander at the major league level as a sign of this. But I don't think the problems that Fabian has, which we've known all along, going back to his days at Florida that he has, aren't something that the Orioles can't deal with. And unlike you know some swing and miss prospects we've seen come through this system over the last several years, Fabian does draw a walk. He knows how to put together a good at bat. It's just that I think he's struggling a little bit, maybe on pitches in the zone, and they just got to find a way to curtail that. And once they do, I think he's going to do just fine. Yeah, 37.5% strikeout rate in double A is not great. Um, he, talk about a three true outcomes player. I mean, my goodness, he's either walking, striking out, or hitting a home run, or stealing a home run. He's a great defender in all three positions, including center field. It is interesting. Um, in the first month and a half in double A, he batted 156 with a 645 OPS, 200 BABIP, as you pointed out, unlucky there. And struck out 40.3% of the time and only walked only, still decent rate, but 11.7% of the time. And then from August 8th to the end of the season, again, about a month and a half, he batted 204, at least he's over the Mendoza line, thanks to a 275 BABIP, 793 OPS, walked 19.4%, and got the strikeout rate down to 34.3, so still pretty pretty bad but at least some progress there and i think the babbitt probably helped but yeah if he can get the strikeout rate under 30 percent, i think you know start there and then kind of like kyle stowers uh before he had that one really good season 2022 um you want to just get that strikeout rate under 30 percent, and i think the rest of his game is it's kind of like with enrique bradfield but in a much different way like his his floor is so high. Like he could play in the major leagues as a fifth, fourth outfielder right now, just from his defense, his speed. If you need a pinch hitter late in a game to run into one, to give you a chance, he, he's got the power. He's, he's going to take a walk and get on base, but he's going to strike out a ton. Um, so yeah, get that strikeout right down 30% and then work on improving it from there uh, after next season. But yeah, I like the pick. I, I'm still a fan of him because like I said, his floor is so high and then his ceiling is pretty high too. If he can cut that whiff rate down, start running into more balls, then uh, you got to, if he could bat 230, he'd be a great, great player. Yeah. Really? That's really the only negative that I think anybody has to say about Fabian is just the strikeouts. Like, the 37% strikeout rate at double-A level is definitely not going to cut it, but the Orioles knew what they were getting when they drafted him, and they knew that swing and miss is always going to be there. And for look at some of his college data, and it is astronomical, uh, even with the high whiff rates, but still, like the Orioles knew that, and they know like they're not going to be able to eliminate that. And I remember when Stowers was coming up, and there was a report responding to a question about like, is the organization concerned about Stowers and his high strikeouts in AAA and, or coming up through the system? And the answer was no. I can't remember which Orioles beat reporter was, was doing these, this Q&A or whatever, but the answer was no. 
because he hits the ball incredibly hard. And like Zach said, we saw Stowers make notable improvements in the strikeout rate once he got to AAA. It was like up, 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 and then he gets to AAA, and then it goes back down. Um, so that's a positive there. And I think Fabian is a better player than Stowers is. I think he has a higher ceiling than Stowers. And every single article, every reputable article written about Fabian, the ones like written with quotes from coaches in the organization have all highlighted how they were blown away with his ability to learn and adjust when it came to those swing decisions. And I was actually trying to access John Mioli's newsletter here, but I apparently I'm like, I can't sign back in. Um, but I know John had an article where he was talked to Brink Ambler when Brink Ambler was the hitting coach with Delmarva. Of course, he's in Norfolk now. But so I don't have the exact quote, but basically Ambler was like, I mean, this guy came in, saw how the league adjusted to him, and he immediately figured out how to fight back and be two steps ahead again to the point where he had nothing left to learn in low A pretty much as soon as he got there. And then once he got to Aberdeen, it was the same thing. More reports on he's working on the swing and miss. It's looking much better as he's settling in there in high A. I think it happens again next year when we get to double A. And also last year was just his first full year as a pro too. So like we usually see a lot of the struggles with guys in high A. I think we just saw it in double A last year with Fabian. Um, like you guys have mentioned, he still does two things extremely well, the plus defense in center field. And he hits the ball hard, not just like hard on its own, but consistently hard. I think he has one of the highest barrel percentages in the entire system. And if he can make just enough contact to be like even just a fringe average hitter, then you take his power and his defensive tools. He's an everyday starting center fielder for like a World Series team. I honestly believe that. Uh, like that's what he can be. I think it's kind of like the same conversation with Joey Ortiz. If Joey Ortiz can just be a league average bat, that's a stud shortstop in the major leagues. If Fabian can do that, he plays premier defense at a premier position as well. Like that's just league average hitter. That's a potential all star at the major league level. Absolutely. And I'll jump over to my pitcher now. It's a guy that we did not see a lot of last year because he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. And that is Zach Peak between a late season run in the Orioles farm system between three levels and the Arizona Fall League. He pitched this 18 and two thirds innings um, in 2023, topped out at high A Aberdeen during the regular season. And really, good or bad, there's nothing we can take from that sample size of. 18 and two thirds innings across three regular season levels, plus the Arizona Fall League. What I will note, though, about Peak is that if you go back to 2022, he was on an upward trajectory leading right up to his final start of the year, where he ultimately snapped his elbow and then had to undergo Tommy John surgery. In the month of June at Bowie that year, he held opposing hitters to a 200 average and a 559 OPS while posting a 108 ERA and striking out 21 batters and walking just four in 25 innings pits. The strikeouts had been lagging a little bit for Peak in 2022 compared to where they had been in 2021. But as he was getting comfortable at AA, we saw what worked really well for him, that really sharp curveball that he has that can be a great out pitch, good fastball location. He had the slider and the changeup that he can mix in. This is a guy that we were really excited about. Um, over the course of 2021 and for the first half of 2022. It's going to take time for him to ease back in this year, regardless of whether that comes with a short stint at Aberdeen to start the year, or maybe he goes up to Bowie and is on kind of limited use early on. But I do think that 
as we get into the summer, we can see the Zach Peak of 2022 come back. And you've got a guy who has a major league ceiling, whether that's ultimately as a long man, a short inning bullpen arm, or perhaps occasional spot starter. But I think that everything is still there with Peak. He just needs to get his reps in. Yeah, I think he was in the midst of a breakout season in 2022. Unfortunately, when that injury happened, I mean, he had a 3.57 ERA, 3.50 FIP, and that was with the strikeouts being a little bit down. So I think he was just going to get better and better as the year went on. And honestly, if he didn't get hurt, I wonder if he's a guy that's on the 40-man roster right now and maybe even made his major league debut at the end of 2023 somewhere along the lines to help out in the bullpen or something. Um, and I see no reason to believe why he still couldn't be a major leaguer. I mean, I'm not really worried at all about his stats in 2023 at the end of the year um, or in the AFL. I just, he's, he's trying to get his mechanics and his timing back. We all, we know that the last thing to come back after Tommy John surgery is the command slash control. So the walks were way up to be expected. The strikeouts were there though. Um, obviously very limited innings, but he was striking out almost 11, just, just under 11 per nine in his time back in the, uh, professional games. So yeah, I think if he comes out, the only thing that sucks is I don't know the thing that he's lost is like that opportunity to start every five days. Um, I don't think that's there anymore. He's going to have to piggyback or, be used as a multi-inning reliever or even you know a single inning reliever if you really want to ramp him up just kind of like ryan watson but you know i think he could still be a major league reliever he's got the k strut is fabulous he can strike guys out and he's got good control for someone with that many strikeouts um you know his walk rate let me see in 2022 was just two point a little over two and a half per nine in 2021 in high A, it was pretty much the same thing. So, yeah, if he gets back to where he was, I think he's a potential reliever in the major leagues for the Orioles. Cult favorite, uh, Zach Peak definitely has uh, an intense and loyal fan base, um, which I'm a part of. Like, he was trending up before Tommy John surgery. He's probably one of my favorite interviews as well that we've had on the show. But it's the delivery is just it's smooth, it's easy, and he's easy to root for because he's a small school arm out of Winthrop, and it doesn't pitch for the Angels uh, after being drafted. Gets traded to the Orioles, so the Orioles identified him in LA system, came over the Dylan Bunny trade, and he took major leap forward. I think because I feel like you you talk about the strikeout numbers, he had like a thirty percent strikeout rate in A ball. But he was a little bit older, and I think he was kind of bullying his way past a lot of those weaker hitters. You're not going to do that when you get to double A. And you guys have mentioned the strikeout rate dropped in double A, but the walk rate stayed pretty much exactly the same. Fewer hits, fewer home runs. I think the Zach Peak we were watching in Bowie right before Tommy John surgery was like he was maturing very well on the mound, I think, as a pitcher. And the one the biggest thing that stood out was like, yeah, the strikeouts weren't there, but and he was getting into trouble pretty often, pretty early on in outings. But he would navigate them so well. Like, get the key strikeout when he needed it most, and then in the inning with a double play. I'm pretty sure there was one game where he ended, like, four innings, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back with a double play. Um, 
like that's just what he was doing in Bowie. I think he was maturing on the mound. He was a much better pitcher. He was learning how to attack guys. We talk about it all the time. Maybe if he would have continued and gotten to AAA, you'd probably see a spike in the strikeout rate. I don't know, but I do still think there's starting potential there as well. We'll see what he looks like post Tommy John surgery, but hopefully we see 20, you know, that version of Zach Peak back in Bowie. I hope we see him again at some point next year because that was fun. Darth Vader, Darth Vader's coming back hopefully in a big way next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that does it for our look at bounce back candidates in the 2024 season. And on our next episode, we're going to look at the Orioles outfield depth, talk about who could fit into that at the major league level and who might not. You're not going to want to miss that. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Threads, Instagram, X, and Facebook. We are also over at Substack, where you can sign up for a subscription now, OriolesOnTheBirds.Substack.com. And while you're browsing around the internet, check out our Patreon network as well as all podcasts on the Believe Podcast Network. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge.